Chapter Twenty One of Gladiator. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gladiator by Philip Wiley. Chapter Twenty One. Now the winds keened from the mountains and snow fell. Abednego Danner, the magnificent Abednego Danner was carried to his last resting place the laboratory of nature herself his wife and his son followed the bier the dirge was intoned the meaningless cadence of ritual was spoken to the cold ground a ghostly obelisk was lifted up over his meagre remains hugo had a wish to go to the hills and roll down some gigantic chunk of living rock to mark that place until the coming of a glacier but he forbore and followed all the dark conventions of disintegration the will was read and the bulk of hugo's sorry gains was thrust back into his keeping he went into the attic and opened the black trunk where the six small notebooks lay in oil paper he took them out and unwrapped them the first two books were a maze of numbered experiments in the third a more vigorous calligraphy a quivering tracery of excitement marked the repressed beginning of a new earth he bought a bag and some clothes and packed the false contralto of his mother's hymns as she went about the house filled him with such despair that he left after the minimum interval allowed by filial decency she was a grim old woman still one to whom the coming of the kingdom to africa was a passion the polishing of the coal stove a duty and the presence of her unfamiliar son of burden when he said good-bye he kissed her which left her standing on the station platform looking at the train with a flat uncomprehending expression hugo knew where he was going and why he was on his way to washington the great crusade was to begin he had no plans only ideals which are plans of a sort he had told his father he was making the world a better place and the idea had taken hold of him he would grapple the world his world at its source he would no longer attempt to rise from a lowly place he would exert his power in the highest places government politics law were malleable to the force of one man most of his illusion was gone as he had said so glibly to his father there were good men and corrupt in the important situations in the world to the good he would lend his strength to the corrupt he would exhibit his embattled antipathy he would be not one impotent person seeking to dominate but the agent of uplift he would be what he perceived life had meant him to be an instrument he could not be a leader but he could create a leader such was his intention he had seen a new way to reform the world and if his inspiration was clouded occasionally with doubt he disavowed the doubts as a christian disavows temptation this was to be his magnificent gesture he closed his eyes to the inferences made by his past he never thought of himself as pathetic or quixotic his ability to measure up to external requirements was infinite his disappointment lay always he thought in his spirit and his intelligence he went to washington the world was pivoting there his first few weeks were dull 
he installed himself in a pleasant house and hired two servants the use to which he was putting his funds compensated for their origin it was men like shane who would suffer from his mission and such a man came into view before very long hugo interested himself in politics and the appearance of politics he read the congressional record he talked with everyone he met he went daily to the capital and listened to the amazing pattern of harangue from the lips of innumerable statesmen in looking for a cause his eye fell naturally on the problem of disarmament hugo saw at once that it was a great cause and that it was bogged in the greed of individuals it is not difficult to become politically partisan in the capital of any nation it was patent to hugo that disarmament meant a removal of the chance for war hugo hated war he moved hither and thither making friends learning entertaining never exposing his plan which his new friends thought to be lobbying for some impending legislation he picked out an individual readily enough some of the men he had come to know were in the senate others in the house of representatives others were diplomats newspaper reporters attaches each alliance had been cemented with care and purpose his knowledge of an enemy came by whisperings by hints by plain statements congressman hatton who argued so eloquently for laying down arms and picking up the cause of humanity was a guest of hugo's danner he said after a third highball you're a sensible chap but you don't quite get us i'm fighting for disarmament and making a grand fight the congressman waved his hand sure that's what i mean you really want this thing for itself but between you and me i don't give a rap about ships and guns my district is a farm district we aren't interested in paying millions in taxes to the bosses and owners in a coal and iron community so i'm against it dead against it with my constituency behind me nobody really wants to spend the money except the shipbuilders and steel men maybe they don't theoretically but the money in it is too big that's why i fight and your speeches pap danner pure pap even the yokels in my home towns realize that it doesn't seem like pap to me that's politics in a way it isn't two boys i was fond of are lying over there in france i don't want to make any more shells but i have to think of something else first if i came from some other district the case would be reversed i'd like to change the tariff but the industrials oppose me in that so we compromise or we don't i think i could put across a decent arms limitation bill right now for example if i could get willard melcher out of town for a month melcher you know him of course at least who he is he spends the steel money here in washington to keep the building program going on simple thing to do the navy helps him tell the public about the japanese menace the english menace all the other menaces and the public coughs up for bigger guns and better ships run em till they rust and nobody ever really knows what good they could do and melcher does that the congressman chuckled his payroll would make your eyes bulge but you can't touch him hugo nodded thoughtfully don't you think anyone around here works purely for an idea how's that oh i understand sure the cranks and his laughter ended the discussion hugo began he walked up the brick steps of melcher's residence and pulled the glittering brass knob a servant came to the door 
Mr. Danner to see Mr. Melcher. Just a moment. A wait in the hall. The servant returned. Sorry, but he's not in. Hugo's mouth was firm. Please tell him that I saw him come in. I'm sorry, sir, but he's going right out. Tell him that he will see me. The servant raised his voice. Harry! A heavy person with a flattened nose and cauliflower ears stepped into the hall. This gentleman wishes to see Mr. Melcher, and Mr. Melcher is not in to him. Take care of him, Harry. The servant withdrew. Run along, feller. Hugo smiled. Mr. Melcher keeps a bouncer. An evil light flickered in the other's eyes. Yeah, feller. And I came up from the Pensy Mines. I'm a tough guy, so beat it. Not so tough your ears and nose aren't a sight, Hugo said lightly. The man advanced. His voice was throaty. Get! You go to the devil. I came here to see Melcher, and I'm going to see him. Yeah? The tough one drew back his fist. But he never understood afterwards what had taken place. He came to in the kitchen an hour later. Mr. Melcher heard him rumble to the floor and emerge from the library. He was a huge man, bigger than his bouncer. His face was hard and sinister, and it lighted with an unpleasant smile when he saw the unconscious thug and measured the size of Hugo. Pulled a fast one on Harry, eh? I came to see you, Melcher. Well, might as well come in now. I worked up from the mines myself, and I'm a hard egg. If you got funny with me, you'd get killed. What do you want? Hugo sat down in a leather chair and lit a cigarette. He was comparatively without emotion. This was his appointed task, and he would make short shrift of it. I came here, Melcher, he began, to talk about your part in the arms conferences. It happens that I disagree with you and your propaganda. It happens that I have a method of enforcing my opinion. Disarmament is a great thing for the world, and putting the idea across is the first step toward even bigger things. I know the relative truths of what you say about America's peril and what you get from saying it. Am I clear? Melcher had reddened. He nodded. Perfectly. I have nothing to add. Get out of town. Melcher's eyes narrowed. Do you really believe that sending me out of town would do any good? Do you have the conceit to think that one nutty shrimp like you can buck the will and ideas of millions of people? Hugo did not permit his convictions to be shaken. There happens to be extenuating circumstances, Melcher. Really? You surprise me. The broad sarcasm was shaken like a weapon. And do you honestly think you could chase me, me, out of here? I am sure of it. How? Hugo extinguished his cigarette. I happen to be more than a man. I am, he hesitated, seeking words, let us say, a devil or an angel or a scourge. I detest you and what you stand for. If you do not leave, I can ruin your house and destroy you, and I will. He finished his words almost gently. Melcher appeared to hesitate. All right. I'll go immediately, this afternoon. Hugo was astonished. You will go? I promise. Good afternoon, Mr. Danner. Hugo rose and walked toward the door. He was seething with surprise and suspicion. Had he actually intimidated Melcher so easily? His hand touched the knob. At that instant Melcher hit him on the head with a chair. It broke in pieces. Hugo turned around slowly. I understand you mistook me for a dangerous lunatic. I was puzzled for a moment, but now 
Melcher's jaw sagged in amazement when Hugo did not fall. An instant later, he threw himself forward, arms out, head drawn between his shoulders. With one hand, Hugo imprisoned his wrists. He lifted Melcher from the floor and shook him. I meant it, Melcher, and I will give you a sign. Rotten politics, graft, bad government are doomed. Melcher watched with staring eyes while Hugo, with his free hand, rapidly demolished the room. He picked up the great desk and smashed it. He tore the stone mantelpiece from its roots. He kicked the fireplace apart. He burst a hole in the brick wall, dragging the bulk of a man behind him as he moved. Remember that, Melcher. No one else on earth is like me. And I will get you if you fail to stop. I'll come for you if you squeal about this. And I leave it to you to imagine what will happen. Hugo walked into the hall. You're all done for, you cheap swindlers. And I am doom. The door banged. Melcher swayed on his feet, swallowed hard, and ran upstairs. Pack, he said to his valet. He had gone. Hugo had removed the first of the public enemies, and yet Hugo was not satisfied. His approach to Melcher had been dramatic, terrifying, and effective. There were rumors of that violent morning. The rumor said that Melcher had been attacked that he had been bought out for bigger money, that something peculiar was happening in Washington. If ten, twenty men left, and those rumors multiplied by geometrical progression, sheer intimidation would work a vast good. But other facts disconcerted Hugo. In the first place his mind kept reverting to Melcher's words, Do you have the conceit to think that one person can buck the will of millions? No matter how powerful that person, his logic added, millions of dollars or people. The same logic questioned, after all, did it matter? People could be perjured by subtler influences than gold. Secondly, the parley over arms continued to be at an impasse, despite the absence of Melcher. Perhaps, he argued, he had not removed Melcher soon enough. A more carefully focused consideration showed that in spite of what Hatton had said, it was not individuals against whom the struggle was made, but mass stupidity, gigantic bulwarks of human incertitude. And a new man came in Melcher's place, a man who employed different tactics. Hugo could not exorcise the world. A few days later, Hugo learned that two radicals had been thrown into jail on a charge of murder. The event had taken place in Newark, New Jersey. A federal officer had attempted to break up a meeting. He had been shot. The men arrested were blamed, although it was evident that they were chance seizures, that their proved guilt could be at most only a social resentfulness. At first no one gave the story much attention. The slow wheels of Jersey justice, printed always in quotation marks by the dailies, began to turn. The men were summarily tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. A mob assaulted the jail where they were confined without success. Two of the mob were wounded by riot guns. A meeting was held in Berlin, one in London, another in Paris. Moscow was silent, but Moscow was reported to be in an uproar. The trial assumed international proportions overnight. Embassies were stormed, legations from America were forced to board cruisers, strikes were ordered, long queues of sullen men and women formed at camp kitchens. 
the president delivered a message to congress on the subject prominent personages debated it in public halls only to be acclaimed and booed concomitantly the sentence imposed on two russian immigrants rocked the world in some cities it was not safe for american tourists to go abroad in the streets and all the time the two men drew nearer to the electric chair it was then that hugo met skorvsky many people knew him he was a radical a writer he lived in washington he styled himself an unofficial ambassador of the world a small dark man with a black mustache who attended one of hugo's informal afternoon discussions on a vicarious invitation come over and see hugo danner he's something new in washington something new in washington i shall omit the obvious sarcasm i shall go skorvsky went hugo listened to him talk about the two prisoners he was lucid he made allowances for the american democracy which in themselves were burning criticism hugo asked him to dinner they dined at hugo's house you have the french taste in wines skorvsky said but as it is to my mind the finest taste in the world i can say only that hugo tried to lead him back to the topic that interested both of them so acutely skorvsky shrugged you are polite or else you are curious i know you an american businessman in washington with a purpose not an apparent purpose just now no no just now you are a host cultivated and genial and retiring but at the proper time ah a dam somewhere in arizona a forest that you covered in alaska is it not so what if it is not skorvsky stared at the ceiling what then a secret yes i thought that about you while we were talking to the others today there is something deep about you my new friend you are a power possibly you are not even really an american that is wrong you assure me that i am right but i will agree with you you are let us say the very epitome of the man mr mencken and mr lewis tell us about so charmingly i am russian and i cannot know all of america you might divulge your errand perhaps suppose i said it was to set the world aright skorvsky laughed lightly then i should throw myself at your feet both men were in deadly earnest hugo not quite willing to adopt the russian's almost effeminate delicacy yet eager to talk to him or to someone like him someone who was more than a great self-centered wheel in the progress of the nation hugo yielded a little further yet that is my purpose and i am not altogether impotent there are things i can do he got up from the table and stretched himself with a feline grace such as i was thinking of your two compatriots who were recently given such wretched justice suppose they were liberated by force what then ah you are an independent communist not even that just a friend of progress so a dreamer one of the few who have wealth and you have a plan to free these men hugo shrugged i merely speculated on the possible outcome of such a thing assume that they were snatched from prison and hidden beyond the law skorvsky meditated it would be a great victory for the cause of course a splendid lift to its morale the cause of bolshevism a higher and a different cause i cannot explain it briefly perhaps i cannot explain it at all but the old world of empires is crumbled democracy is at its farcical height 
the new world is not yet manifest i shall be direct what is your plan mr danner i couldn't tell you anyway you would not believe it but i could guarantee to deliver those two men anywhere in the country within a few days without leaving a trace of how it was done what do you think of that skorvsky i think you are a dangerous and a valuable man not many people do hugo's eyes were moody i've been thinking about it for a long time nothing that i can remember has happened during my life that gives me a greater feeling of understanding than the imprisonment and sentencing of those men i know poignantly the glances that are given them the stupidity of the police and the courts the horror-stricken attitude of those who condemn them without knowledge of the truth or a desire for such knowledge he buried his face in his hands and then looked up quickly i know all that passionately and intensely i know the blind fury to which it all gives birth i hate it i detest it selfishness stupidity malice i know the fear it engenders a dreadful and a justified fear i've felt it very little in this world avails against it you'll forgive so much sentiment skorvsky it makes us brothers the russian spoke with force and simplicity you too hugo crossed the room restlessly i don't know i'm always losing my grip i came to washington with a purpose and i cannot screw myself to it unremittingly these men seem skorvsky was thinking your plan for them what assistance would you need none none why should i need help i never mind i need none you have your own organization there is no one but me skorvsky shook his head i cannot and yet looking at you i believe you can i shall tell you you will come with me tonight and meet my friends those who are working earnestly for a new america an america ruled by intelligence alone few outsiders enter our councils we are all nearly all foreigners yet we are more american than the main fisherman the minnesota farmer behind us is a party that grows apace this incident in new jersey has added to it as does every dense mumble of congress every scandalous metropolitan investigation i shall telephone hugo allowed himself to be conducted half dubiously but what he found was superficially at least what he had dreamed for himself the house to which he was taken was pretentious the people in its salon were amiable and educated there was no sign of the red flag the ragged reformer the anarchist the women were gracious the men witty as he talked to them one by one he began to believe that here was the nucleus around which he could construct his imaginary empire he became interested he expanded it was late in the night when skorvsky raised his voice slightly so that everyone would listen and made an announcement friends i have had the honor to introduce mr danner to you now i have the greater honor of telling you his purpose and pledge tomorrow night he will go to new jersey the silence became absolute and two nights later he will bring to us in person from their cells davidoff and pletsky a quick pregnant pause was followed by excitement they took hugo by the hand some of them applauded one or two cheered they shouldered near him they asked questions and expressed doubts it was broad daylight before they dispersed hugo walked to his house listening to a long rhapsody from skorvsky 
we will make you a great man if you succeed skorvsky said good night comrade good night hugo went into the hall and up to his bedroom he sat on his bed a dullness overcame him he had never been patronized quite in the same way as he had that night it exerted at once a corrosive and a lethargic influence he undressed slowly dropping his shoes on the floor splendid people they were he thought a smaller voice suggested to him that he did not really care to go to new jersey for the prisoners they would be hard to locate there would be a sensation and a mystery again still he had found a purpose his telephone rang he reached automatically from the bed the room was bright with sunshine which meant that it was late in the day his brain took reluctant hold on consciousness hello hello dana my friend oh hello skorvsky may i come up it is important sure i'm still in bed but come on hugo was under the shower bath when his visitor arrived he invited skorvsky to share his breakfast but was impatiently refused things have happened since last night comrade danner for one i saw the chief chief you have not met him as yet we conferred about your scheme he i regret to say opposed it hugo nodded i'm not surprised i'll tell you what to do you take me to him and i'll prove conclusively that it will be successful then perhaps he will agree to sanction it every time i think of those two poor devils snatched from a mob waiting there in the dark for the electric chair it makes my blood boil quite skorvsky agreed but you do not understand it is not that he doubts your ability if you failed it would not be important he fears you might accomplish it i assured him you would i have faith in you he's afraid i would do it that doesn't make sense skorvsky it does i regret to say his expressive face stirred with discomfort we were too hasty too precipitate i see his reason now we cannot afford as a group to be branded as jailbreakers that's weak hugo said skorvsky cleared his throat there are other matters since davidoff and pletsky were jailed the party has grown by leaps and bounds money has poured in ah hugo said softly money skorvsky raged go ahead be sarcastic to free those men would cost us a million dollars perhaps too bad with a million the million their electrocution will bring from the outraged we can accomplish more than saving two paltry lives we must be hard we must think ahead in thinking ahead skorvsky do you not think of the closing of a switch and the burning of human flesh for every cause there must be martyrs their names will live eternally and they themselves bah you are impractical perhaps hugo ate a slice of toast with outward calm i was hoping for a government that did not weigh people against dollars nor do we no skorvsky leaped to his feet fool dreamer preposterous idealist i must be going hugo sighed suppose i went ahead one thing the russian turned with a livid face one thing the chief bade me tell you if those men escape you die oh hugo said he stared through the window and supposing i were to offer your chief a million or nearly a million for the privilege of freeing them skorvsky's face returned to its look of transfiguration the look that had accompanied his noblest words of the night before you would do that comrade he whispered you would give us 
give the cause a million never since the days of our savior has a man like you walked on this hugo stood up suddenly get out of here his voice was a cosmic menace get out of here you dirty swine get out of here before i break you to matchwood before i rip out your guts and stuff them back through your filthy lying throat get out oh god get out end of chapter 21